much harder than me with the dana. Yeah. Are you gonna do that? Yeah. Just that one. Can we get the drum to do it as well? You've been a very bad boy. Yes, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Yep, 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 yep. Yes. months in fact uh, uh, near on to 12 months now and uh, it has come to a conclusion we're very very thankful for that uh, and thankful that you're able to join us for this housewarming party as well 
this, uh, this celebration that we have today uh, is a celebration of God's kindness to us in being able to complete these works and pull them off, but also uh, thanks to a great many people as well who have made all of this happen, not, uh, not least of which the members of our church family who have given financially to make that happen. So thank you so much for that. Uh, but also there's been a number who have uh, taken uh, uh, great steps in making this plan come to fruition. It started uh, with our wardens and Matt and Mike and Mark. Uh, I think I got that right. That's hard to say out loud. Matt and Mike and Mark are our wardens who pulled all of that together. And so thank you so much to them for their efforts. Uh, thank you to Paul Council. Paul Council is uh, the one who drew up the designs uh, and submitted those and made all of those happen for us. And we're very thankful to him as well. And then to Matt Leach, who has pioneered all of that, and also Tim Croft, who's uh, played a huge part in pulling all of that together as well. We're very thankful to you guys as well. You might like to put your hands together for those guys. And I don't know how many sort of housewarming parties that, that you've been to, but uh, today it was our decision to, to put on this, this housewarming party and to make sure, you know what, it's just like a regular day for us. A regular Sunday where we hear from God's word and we uh, and we celebrate what God's done for us together. But it's also important, isn't it, to highlight those who have particularly uh, helped us along the way. So thank you to each one of those guys uh, that have done all of those things as well. As I mentioned, what we uh, regularly do here at, uh, at Helensburg Anglican is find a, a passage of the scriptures of the Bible and to work through it together uh, and to see what it's saying to us today. Uh, and what I want us to do today is to look at this part of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's, a, it's a funny name, but it's written by uh, a wise teacher or preacher uh, back a thousand years before Jesus. And we're going to identify his words and what he says about life in this world. Well, as we dive in, I wonder if, uh, if you've ever taken advantage of a money-back satisfaction guarantee. <laughs> Whether you've ever got to the point of somebody uh, going up to somebody and saying, my satisfaction was not absolutely 100% complete with that product, I'm going to return it and I'm going to ask for my money back. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm regularly not satisfied with different products, but I never seem to take them back. Never really gets, uh, I never get enough uh, gumption to get out there and take that thing back. Uh, here are a few examples of things that you can take back that have satisfaction guarantees related to them. Those burgers in the top corner, I've never actually seen those before. I think they're probably from overseas. But the satisfaction is apparently guaranteed. That it's 100% beef and they need to tell us that is a worry uh, because that just has me suspicious from the beginning. Uh, but uh, I like the idea of spicy. That sort of... Uh, 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 ticks my uh, boxes and pushes my buttons, but uh, whether I take it back or not, not so sure. The green gadgets, it's got a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, which means it'll go badly on the 31st day. You know that's to be true. Uh, and you can take it back. And Michelin Plus, so they have for their tyres a 30-day satisfaction guarantee. I don't know quite how you get satisfied with tyres or unsatisfied with tyres. They're just a thing that happens, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but, uh, but there we are. All of these and more products have satisfaction guarantees. This week as I was uh, looking around for uh, uh, companies and products that have satisfaction guarantees, I noticed that one of the products that has a satisfaction guarantee is that dog treat, Schmackos. If you're not 100% satisfied with Schmackos, you can take them back. No, it doesn't say that on the back of the packet. It says if your dog is not 100% satisfied with this product, you can take it back. How do we work that out? 
And my dog's either satisfied or completely vomiting up whatever I just gave them. And then eating that again, frankly, but that's how it works. How do you work out whether there's a satisfaction guarantee? With, with schmackos, when it comes to those treats, they either like it or they don't. Here's where I want to get a little more serious, though. I want to ask you a question that you don't have to answer out loud. Answer it in your own mind and ask yourself this question. When it comes to life, are you completely satisfied? When it comes to life, are you completely satisfied? I don't know if you want to give your score, yourself a score out of 10, where 10 is complete satisfaction and zero is no satisfaction whatsoever. But here's the thing, if we asked one another at the end of our service today, uh, what do you want your score to be? All of us would say, I want it to be a 10 out of 10. I want to be completely satisfied with life. That's true, isn't it? That's, how, that's what we all want to go for. We all want to go for complete satisfaction in life. No one wants to be unsatisfied. Everyone wants to not just have life, but to live it. Not just to have life, but to live life to the full. And so our question today that I want us to ask from this book, this ancient book that we find in the Bible called Ecclesiastes is this. Is there more to life? Is there more to life? Now, this question is not a modern question. You might think it's a, it's a kind of modern question with all of our techs, tech, uh, techniques and gadgets and tech support and all the rest of it, but it's been asked for thousands and thousands of years. And asking this question, is there more to life, takes us to the very heart of what we are like as human beings. And so we're going to take this part of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, and have a look at it in these next few moments. And we're going to see, is there more to life? And I want to say to you, there is more to life. And we can live life to the full. Let me pray, and then we're going to have a look at God's Word together in this part. If you haven't got it in front of you, that's totally fine. Uh, but I'm going to refer to a couple of passages this morning. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you're about to speak to us in your Word, the Bible. And we ask, please, that you'd help us to have uh, ears to hear uh, what you would like to say to us about life so that we might live life to the full. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a simple... And a simple question that's related to what we've already talked about this morning is this. Are you happy? Are you happy? It's a simple question with a complex answer. And there's been various surveys done to answer that question over recent years. In 2019, pre the pandemic, it was found that we in Australia are the happiest nation on the planet. 28% of people said they were very happy with their life. 58% of people said they were rather happy with their life. 11% of people said they were not very happy with their life. And only 3% of people said they were not at all happy with their life. Now, things have changed over recent years. A report only came out yesterday that found that Finland has overtaken us. Finland has overtaken us. They're now number one and we've dropped down to number 12. I'm not sure what quite has happened in that time, but there we go, we've dropped from number one to number 12. But when you consider all the countries in the world, that's still pretty high, isn't it? We're a happy group of people, and it doesn't, uh, you, you don't have to work hard to believe that. That as Australians, we're a happy-go-lucky group of people. And even when things are bad, we're kind of happy, aren't we? We have that sort of stiff upper lip thing going on. 
You know that idea that when things are really bad in Australian culture, what do we do? We make a joke out of it. And we have a laugh at our own expense when things are not so good. We're one of the happiest nations on earth. But this study, particularly the one in 2019, went a little bit further. Asking participants, what is it exactly that makes us happy as Australians? And the top five answers were these. Number one, relationship with a partner or a spouse. That makes us most happy. <coughs> Secondly, our health makes us happy. Thirdly, feeling in control of life makes us happy. Fourthly, our relationship with our children makes us happy. And fifthly, having more money makes us happy. And so we might be able to summarise it like this. As Australians, we're family focused, self-sufficient, healthy, wealthy and wise people. And that sounds like us, doesn't it? actually sounds like us as a, as a nation, generally speaking. It, it, it certainly sounds like us in the area in which we live. All, all of these things make us happy. <coughs> or sort of. You see, the sources of our greatest happiness are also the sources of our greatest worry. At the end of 2022, the end of last year, the Australian annual Australian worry list was released. <laughs> what are the things that we worry about the most? Now, this uh, particular list has been going since 2010. And at the end of 2022, we saw some of the largest numbers in relation to worry that we've ever seen since this survey began. Not only that, we saw some of the largest increases in worry in various areas. I wonder if you could think of what they are. The, the sources of worry that we have as a nation now are these. Cost of living, health, Housing affordability and the economy. Did you notice what was going on there? What we worry about most are the things that also bring us the greatest happiness. We're worried about the things that will make us happy. We're worried that we might not be able to hold on to the happiness that we already have. We're number one, but we're worried that we might end up as number 12 or number 20 or number 50 or that we might not be as happy as the people around us. But you see, when we dig a little deeper, we find that these different areas of life are not perhaps as secure as we think they are. Let's think about each one of these from the bottom up. Let's, let's think about those things that bring us happiness and work out whether they really do. First of all, money. Some people say life consists in the abundance of our possessions. And some people may agree with that today. But I want to tell you that I think the culture is changing a bit on that one. I, I think particularly the younger people are noticing uh, that those who are older have tried the abundance of possessions thing and it doesn't really work. It hasn't brought the happiness that perhaps they thought it would. And so uh, younger generations are moving away from the abundance of possessions to the abundance of experiences or adventures, the abundance of memories. But whether you hold to abundance of possessions or abundance of experience and adventures, it's money that gives us the freedom to do all of these things. But I wonder if you've noticed, when it comes to money, there is the law of diminishing returns, isn't there? I remember uh, a few years ago now, uh, I got my first iPhone. I think it was an iPhone 3. I'm not quite sure if that's true. I'm not even sure if there was an iPhone 3, but it was a very early one. And it, I was so excited about it. 
I was so excited about it. I remember sitting, uh, in a, I, was a, I was a minister in a different church at the time, sitting in the staff room and having lunch with uh, my colleagues at the time and playing on my phone all the time and showing off all the new gadgets and tools that it could do. And then a couple of years ago, I got this iPhone 11 and just bought a case and chucked it in my pocket and went home. It's not quite as exciting. Now, I know there are those who line up at the Apple store for the iPhone 14. They're a little unusual. Let's just all agree on that. Sorry if that's you. But there's the law of diminishing returns, isn't it? What was once excellent and exciting is no longer excellent and exciting. It costs the same amount. I end up with more money out of my pocket, perhaps. But the gloss wears off. And it's true not only with possessions, but with experiences as well. Those of you who travel for work will tell me that even if you travel overseas to the most glamorous places in the world, there's something boring about living out of a suitcase all the time, over and over and over again. The law of diminishing returns. See, we know this in our heart, don't we? Money can't buy happiness. And we know as well that the richer people are, they're often miserable people as well. But we just want that little bit more. Like we say, if we can have a bit more money, then that will lead to our happiness and satisfaction in life. But it's always a comparison game. It's always compared to somebody else. And when does it stop? Well, it never really stops. The writer of Ecclesiastes talks about this. He talks about what it's like to chase after that thing that you can never quite catch. And he calls it chasing after the wind. That's what it's like, isn't it? Financially, if we're always chasing the next person in the line ahead of us, then we're trying to chase the wind that is unable to be caught. We know that these things, in the end, can't satisfy us, can't bring us lasting happiness. So what about health? Well, like money, it's a good thing. It can be used for good reasons, and it's great for us to eat well and to exercise and do all of those sorts of things. Just recently, I've taken up again... Uh, like I go up and down, I take up different things at different times. I've taken up running. I'm really enjoying it. Put the earphones in and off I go for a run. I really am enjoying that at the moment. Uh, but I'm very frustrated currently because I've got a twinge and a tweak in my calf muscle and I can't run at the moment. It's been a week. I haven't been able to go for a run. It's frustrating me. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. It's driving me nuts. Now, what's the problem there? Well, the problem there is that I'm getting older. There's coming a day when I can't run anyway. But I'm going to keep it lasting as long as I can, so long as my calf muscles let me. See, the health that we have is good, but it doesn't really last forever, does it? Whether it's the calf muscle or the, the one in three of us who will get cancer, the one in two that will get heart disease. Some of these will be random. Some of these will be lifestyle related. See, it's interesting, isn't it? We are the happiest nation on earth, apparently. But one in four people one in four Australians drink more alcohol in a week than they should. Large number of Australians are not eating the way they should and have lifestyle-related illnesses as a result of covering for our anxieties and our problems in life. Even if we're healthy, we can't outrun time, which will run past us and overtake us. And the book of Ecclesiastes has something to say about that as well. On the screen you'll see a passage from uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It's the very last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. Alicia, who read for us before, is just from her seat here going to read 
uh, these verses for us. Thanks, Alicia. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way the almond tree blossoms the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. This is not a, a brilliant picture uh, of what life looks for us even in our health but it's coming for all of us. Life will get to that point where it's like dragging ourselves along, like it says there, dragging ourselves like a grasshopper along from one step to another. When the grinders, that means our teeth are, are, are low and the grinding keeps happening. And as it says there, one rises up at the sound of a bird. Doesn't that happen as people get older? There's lots of rising in the evening to go to the loo over and over and over again. This is what this Bible passage is talking about. The life that awaits us all. Even if we have good health at this moment in time, it can't last. It's not a place to find our happiness. Now, while we're in this space and in this situation, I want to ask an equally difficult question for us at this moment. While we're talking about the end of life, I want you to think about, as a hypothetical, the end of your life. Imagine at the end of your life, somebody said to you, what made you most satisfied? What was the most satisfying thing in your life? What would you say? Well, as I've talked with people over the last few weeks about this issue, the number one indicator is the same as what that survey told us. The number one indicator for happiness in our nation is relationships. Relationships. Especially relationships uh, with a, sp a spouse or partner, a significant other in that way, has tangible health benefits for you. My wife is a nurse, she's a nurse up at Equilibrium Healthcare up here, uh, and she has a little line for me that she uh, swears is only about healthcare. Okay, this is what she says, nagging wife, long life. <laughs> she says it's only about healthcare, okay? only about healthcare. Uh, and it's true, because men, I want, to, I want to put this to you, if we're left to our own devices, guess what we're not doing, going to the doctor? Number one, taking our medication. Number two, that's what we're doing. So we need somebody else to kick us along. And there are tangible, literal, data-based health benefits for having a spouse for us men in that regard. Now, of course, that's not the only thing. There are so many wonderful things about good relationships, aren't there? Good relationships with a spouse, good relationships with our, uh, our wider family, our children, good relationships with friends as well, close and tight-knit friends. These things are wonderful in life. And on many occasions throughout the Bible, it speaks to us about the joy that comes in relationship with other people. And it stands to reason 
that as we, as Australians, we find happiness in these things, the relationships that God has graciously given to us. But in the last 12 months, one in three Australians has said they are lonely. In the last 12 months, and in fact, for the last 15 years before that, suicide has been on the increase in the nation of Australia, not on the decrease. It's twice the road top. And while some of us have lasting and wonderful relationships, many of us don't. And yet it's the number one indicator of happiness. So what are we to do with all of this information? Uh, what about if these areas of happiness are not working for us? Well, I want to show, the, show you that there's something even greater. Something even greater than family. Something even greater than friends. Something greater than health. Something greater than our money and what it can buy. But before we get there, one final point. See, this is a pretty depressing picture. None of these things can bring the happiness that we want from them. None of these things can actually bring the significance that we want. Uh, what are you doing, Steve? Why are you popping holes in the happiness that we have at the moment? Some people have seen this already and they've started what they've called the simplicity movement. Have you heard about this? People detach from life. Detach from relationships and responsibility and money and corporateness and from the grid and all that stuff. And they've seen that satisfaction in this world is elusive and hard to grasp and like chasing after the wind. And so they reset their expectations. And reset the expectations to find small pleasures. But they don't satisfy the God-given urges that we do have for happiness, for satisfaction. Simplicity doesn't work either. See, we are the happiest nation on earth, but we're still worried that we can't hold on to it. And the truth is, we can't. We can't hold on to it. The money won't last, or the experiences won't last, or the possessions won't last, or our health won't last, or our family won't be all that we want them to be. And yet this is not a modern problem. It's an ancient problem. This whole book, 12 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, was written by a preacher who had the, uh, the means to try everything and to try everything to find happiness and significance and uh, success in this world. He tried working to find his happiness. It didn't work. He tried sex. It didn't work. He tried to find positions of power. It didn't work. He tried knowledge and filling his mind and the wisdom that comes with it. It didn't work. He tried reputation. It didn't work. He tried marriage. It didn't work. And in the end, in the reading that Alicia brought to us earlier, it says this, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it is a vanity and striving after wind. The problem is, the problem is that as human beings, we try to find satisfaction. We try to find happiness in the wrong places. This preacher says this in chapter 1, verse 13, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. See, we are made to be satisfied. We are made to be happy. We are people who have been made in the image of God. And we've been made for something bigger than just simple pleasures. We've been made for glorious pleasures. We've been made for pleasures that are much bigger than ourselves and anything we've ever experienced. We've been made for truth. We've been made for reality. We've been made for something 
that comes from outside of ourselves, not a pleasure that comes from within we've been made for God. See, hopefully to this point, I've been able to convince you that there is more to life. This life is not simply a sponge that we squeeze or try to squeeze all, uh, all of the pleasure out of it and then get to the end of our lives and realise we could have had more. See, if this is all there is, then we've just chased after the wind and it's a depressing picture. But I want to turn that depressing picture into a picture of optimism, into a picture of joy, because this is where the person of Jesus comes in to our picture today, in 2023. Jesus demonstrated to us that there was something bigger, that there was something outside of this world, that there was something outside of the happiness and significance and satisfaction that we can find in this world. And he, did, he showed us that, he demonstrated that, by rising from the dead, doing something that nobody else could do, offering us new and eternal life, Offering us relationship with God. Offering us uh, life and life to the full. And yet the problem is the problem that Easter seeks to solve. The problem is that while Jesus offers to humanity new and eternal life, the problem is that none of us are able to enter it. The qualification for the eternal life that God offers is that we must be perfect set by God's rules. And this just seems to be adding pessimism after pessimism. It just seems to be bad news after bad news. But this is why for the Christian, Jesus is so wonderful. Jesus is so fantastic. Jesus is so beautiful because it is right to see this world as a pessimistic place, chasing after the wind. That is right and proper. But Jesus, the perfect Son of God, when He takes centre stage in this world... He comes to this world with the purpose of dying on a cross. And as He dies on a cross, He forgives us for all of those things that we didn't get right in life, all those sins that we've committed, all those ways we're not perfect before God. He, he uh, is punished for those things so that we might be forgiven. The righteous dies for the unrighteous. The perfect dies for the sinner. And the credit of His perfection goes to our account and now the door of eternal life is open to us and the satisfaction that we so deeply desire the happiness that we so deeply desire is now open and available to all of us one last passage of scripture I want to share with you it's going to be on the screen Alicia will read this one again for us this one comes from John chapter 10 and it's the words of Jesus who describes himself as the good shepherd thanks Alicia the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and life abundantly, life to the full. And it's not life in this world that Jesus is talking about. For so many, when they come to follow Jesus, they, they find that life sometimes gets harder rather than easier. But what Jesus is talking about here is not life in this, in this world, but the life to come. The life that he gives us when he laid down his life for us. And what he says to us, he 
is that we must stop that vicious cycle of trying to find self-satisfaction in this world. We must stop that vicious cycle of trying to chase after the wind. We must stop that vicious cycle of trying to find all of that satisfaction and happiness outside of God and instead give up that way of life and come to Jesus who gives forgiveness and an open door to new and eternal life. And what he offers to us is so wonderful. He offers us those never-ending relationships that are always good and right and perfect. He offers us abundance in the kingdom of God that we will never understand or imagine. He offers to us bodies that are resurrected and new in the kingdom of God that won't get calf muscle injuries or anything worse. But most of all, he offers us himself. A perfect relationship with the God who made us. See, the question that we wanted to ask this morning is, is there more to life? And the answer is yes. Deep down in our own hearts, we would know that satisfaction and happiness are not something that is possible under the sun, under heaven, in this world. Just as soon as we seem to have grasped it, it goes away. And we keep chasing after the wind. But God offers to us the truth of Jesus, the reality of something outside of ourselves, not under heaven, but over, over the top. He offers us eternity, forgiveness in Christ, so that the door of eternity might be opened and we can walk through and receive the satisfaction that we so desperately desire in our relationship with God Himself. See, with God, it's not wrong to say satisfaction is guaranteed. In this world, it's not guaranteed. Under the sun, it's not satisfaction guaranteed. But with God, the giver of all things, if we come to Him and give our lives over to Him, He will not only forgive us, but open the door to eternal life, giving of Himself to us that we might know the satisfaction that only He can give. Well, in so many ways, this is a pessimistic picture of this world. But it is an optimistic picture of what God offers to each one of us. And so in a moment, I'm just going to pray. And if you'd like to pray along in your own mind with me, I'm just going to pray to God and thank Him that He has sought to fix the problem that we have, a relationship with God. Uh, and, uh, and the problem uh, of significance and satisfaction and happiness as well. And uh, if you'd like to join me in prayer, uh, that'd be a great thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in this world where we feel that, that worry of not being able to achieve all that we would like to in this world, of the significance question and the happiness question, and that you have seen that that is a, an issue in our world and that you have sought to address it. And we recognise that our greatest need is, is to be satisfied in you, in the God of the universe. Not only the gifts that you give, but that you are the giver of all of these good gifts that, that we enjoy in this world and that we can enjoy in the world to come. But with that door closed to eternal life, we thank you that you have opened it in providing forgiveness for us in Jesus. We thank you that you have given to us the chance for the new and eternal life in Jesus. And we ask, please, that you help us all 
uh, to grasp a hold of that promise and grasp a hold of what you uh, want to give to us as Easter approaches. You would remind us uh, of the goodness of what Jesus has done in his death, bringing forgiveness, restoration and reconciliation with you, but also in his resurrection, opening the door to new and eternal life. Please help us to trust him. And we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now I'd like to take a little opportunity to reflect on some of the things that have been said this morning. Uh, Caitlin and Janice are going to bring to us uh, a musical item, so please stay in your seat where you are, and uh, they're going to serve us in this way by singing this song, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As Steve reminded us, we have Jesus on which we can base our lives and know that it is a life worth living. Um, So this song is 